After two years of a fully online event, we're excited to be back in Liverpool with a refreshed Congress. As always, the event will offer three days of education in CPD with a programme that showcases the most cutting-edge content for a multidisciplinary audience that addresses the medical, scientific, educational and management issues in the diverse fields of diagnostic imaging, oncology and radiological sciences. Alongside this is a large professional exhibition of the latest state-of-the-art equipment, services and technology available in the industry. With the return of in-person Congress comes an opportunity to refresh and rebuild the event. With an emphasis on networking, practical and hands-on sessions, case study and discussion-led content, content for trainees, generalists and skills mix sessions and an interactive exhibition. So join us, RadChat, at UKIO Congress in Liverpool, 4th and 6th of July. Registrations now open. everyone and welcome to Rad Chat, the first therapeutic radiocular-led oncology podcast. So welcome to number 49. My name's Joe McNamara and I'm joined by fellow host Naaman Jolka Anderson. Hi everyone. So a huge thank you to our last guest Pete from Mummy Star Charity who discussed his career, his experiences of being a bystander to cancer and how he used his grief to help start the charity uh, Mummy Star. If you haven't had a chance please do go and take a listen. So I'm so excited to introduce our guest for this evening, Zoe Merchant, who is discussing her career today, prehabilitation, rehabilitation, and her leadership in developing and implementing services. So hi, Zoe, welcome. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you very much for having me on the programme. Oh, absolutely. I've been wanting to have you on for ages, so it's so exciting. (laughs) And thank you for clearing your very, very busy schedule um, to come (laughs) and join us. And uh, Zoe, I believe uh, you've got to get home quite quickly so you can't be too long on the podcast. I was was just saying before we started that my (laughs) husband is um, a researcher in proton beam therapy and and they can only do their research overnight because um, the beam's normally being used for patients at the Christie during the day. So I've got to get home so I can let him go (laughs) off and be a a god of science working on the beam overnight doing research. Um, I love it. I love it. So yeah, this will be a nice average timed uh, podcast episode so everyone can relieve a sigh of relief. Although, Zoe, you'll have to keep us to time because we do oh, talk for Oh, I'm, I'm a talker, so it'll be the, you'll have to keep me to time. Just think of the beam. Think of me getting him to the beam, okay? Absolutely. So, Zoe, do you want to start by telling people that don't know who you are? who you are and what your job title is, what your role is and your uh, professional background. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I am Zoe Merchant. Um, So I think the reason I've obviously been asked to come on um, this podcast is because um, I've been involved in the kind of delivery design of the Prehab for Cancer and Recovery Programme in Greater Manchester, um, which I'm going to talk a bit more about in in a little while. Um, But um, so I, I I was the programme lead for that when we first started doing transformation and for the first few years um, and I'm now the um, allied health professional lead um, for the prehab for cancer and recovery program um, so that so I've kind of got several jobs so that's that's one thing I'm doing um, I'm also um, currently working as a program manager for the lung health checks program in Greater Manchester um, so doing that as a secondment um, which has been very interesting and, and really um, you know, really insightful in terms of thinking about how we try and screen people for um, lung cancer and try and diagnose people earlier, which is really good. Um, and then I'm also doing a part-time PhD. <laughs> Just, you know, add as that in you as do, well. As you do, <laughs> yeah, when you've yeah. got two jobs. <laughs> yeah, and two small children and a husband who needs to go to the beam at night. Um, yeah, no, um, so I'm also doing a um, part-time PhD with the University of Manchester, um, which is all around um, digital technology wearables, um, so commercial wearables, um, and um, within Cancer Pathways to see um, kind of the experience of patients and, and healthcare professionals about how you could use um, wearables um, within cancer pathways. So my background is I'm an occupational therapist. Um, so I will do the blurb about what an occupational therapist is, because even though you should all know already, let's face it, most people will not know what it is. Um, so for those that don't, occupational therapy is all about how you support people to live their lives despite illness and disability and um, disease. So it's all about thinking about how people function in their daily lives um, 
and it, it it's not just physical focused it's physical health and mental health um so it's understanding that if somebody's been diagnosed with cancer or if somebody's got a disability or they've had a stroke you know how they are living their lives um in and around that condition um and it, it considers all different forms of occupation so by occupation what that means is anything that's a meaningful activity to somebody so that can be from just the basics of getting up in the morning having your breakfast having a wash having a shower all the way through to you know um your work looking after children social life you know so it encompasses everything really um so yeah so I've, I've been an ot for quite a while um and my kind of clinical background was really working in in rehabilitation um, so for many, many years, I did um, neurological rehabilitation. So working with people who had any kind of, um, so whether that was brain cancer, whether that was a stroke, whether that was Parkinson's or multiple sclerosis uh, or motor neuron disease. Um, so working with people um, to, to rehabilitate them to in terms of thinking about how they were coping with their everyday life and getting back to doing all the things they wanted to be doing, despite having, um, you know, having had some kind of brain injury of some sort. Um, so that's like my main background from a clinical perspective. Um, and that's kind of what led me into doing um, prehab and rehab, which is what we're going to be talking about, I think, today. You sound very busy. <laughs> What's a normal day like for you? <laughs> um, well, a normal day is a busy day. Um, so in terms of the targeted lung health text program a lot of that is just um kind of managing the service kind of thinking about how we continue to develop the service making sure that um you know we're, we're getting patients to come along and um that we were sending out invitations but we're getting a really good uptake for that um and then it's working with nhs england and with our local kind of commissioners and healthcare management system in Greater Manchester to, to think about how we can roll it out for more people. Um, you know, I'm working with clinicians and working with doctors and nurses and all the other people involved. So that's what I'm kind of doing a lot of day to day stuff. In terms of prehab, um, as the AHP clinical lead and, and also as in terms of kind of supporting that programme, you know, like, for example, I, I met up with the um, our program manager this morning, Kirsty Rollinson Groves, who works for um, the leisure industry in Greater Manchester. So she's um, she works for GM Active, which is the publicly owned kind of leisure organisations. Um, and so we, we have a catch up regularly. And so we was just talking through the fact we've got loads of referrals for patients, which is really great. But it's how that we how we manage that as a team. And because the thing is, is with prehab, um, it's not something where you could have a waiting list for patients. You know, if somebody's referred into the service, they need to be, you know, contacted within a day or two. And then they need to be coming to the gym locally to where they live and then assessed and given a, a prescription of, of what they need to be doing in advance of their surgery or their other cancer treatment. So we were just talking through, um, you know, how to manage that and and just the development of the service because we've got, you know, constantly evolving as a service. So talking about all of that, which was really good. Um, and then it often involves meeting with other people involved in the in prehab for cancer. So we've got our clinical lead, who's Dr. John Moore, who's an anaesthetist by background. Um, so I'll, you know, meet with him and, and we have lots of development meetings, but then also having conversations nationally because we're quite a tight knit prehab family. So there's some brilliant colleagues all over the country who are really enthusiastic about trying to make prehab more widely available for lots of patients. Um, so, you know, we'll meet with people like June Davis from Macmillan or, you know, all the, all our, my, you know, the favourite people across the country who are working on prehab, which is really nice. Um, so, yeah, so and then as well as that is trying to fit the PhD in at the same time <laughs> basically and my lit report my lit report is due in two weeks and I'm panicking because I've just been on an Easter break so anyway no and and obviously um all the emails just sorting all yes. the emails out yeah that... yeah constant emails that's just how it goes isn't it and twitter of course as well oh yes absolutely if you don't have time <laughs> for the social media you're not you're not doing anything if you don't post about it zoe <laughs> exactly exactly palpitations if you've not been on twitter for a few days absolutely so zoe can i take us back just a little step can yeah. you um just Tell us what is prehabilitation and rehabilitation. It's terminology that we're hearing more and more now, which is fantastic. But what actually is it? Right. Okay. So if we think about prehabilitation, 
We often use an analogy, which I think is really helpful for this. So if you were going to run a marathon, you wouldn't do it without any training. And so what we often talk about is cancer treatment um, and going through a cancer pathway for somebody who's newly diagnosed as being really similar to running a marathon in terms of it, you know, in terms of the stresses that are being put on your body, both mentally, physically, um, it's probably going to be the most stressful thing that someone would ever go through. Um, And so what you need to do really is to support somebody to prepare for that. Um, and so that a whole um, ethos of prehabilitation is how you um, try and optimize somebody to really help them to um, be as fit as, as they possibly can be, as mentally prepared as they can be as they're going into their cancer treatment with the understanding that if you do that, then they're likely to have a much better um, outcome from their cancer treatment in terms of, uh, you know, um, their prognosis and their survival, how, you know, um, how well the treatment goes, but also in terms of their recovery. So, you know, if people go through prehab, they're less likely to need as long in hospital um, and they're more likely to be able to go back to um, very quickly to doing the things that they were doing before they got their cancer diagnosis. Whereas if you've not done any kind of preparation and if, you know, almost deteriorated a little bit before you've gone into your cancer treatment, um, then, you know, that you're potentially at risk of, of needing longer in hospital. You might experience some level of complications as you go through your surgery or your radiotherapy or your chemotherapy. Um, and and then it's also then thinking about, you know, your level of um, uh, functional ability once you've gone through your treatment or during your treatment. Um, so with prehab, um, it's what's called multimodal. So it's not just one thing. It's not just about getting someone physically fit. Um, normally when we think about prehab we're thinking about three aspects so there's the physical side to kind of physically trying to improve someone in terms of their exercise levels their fitness their muscle strength there's the nutritional side so it's understanding that if someone's um, got a poor nutritional status or if they're their weight, um, you know, they're losing weight or that there's problems in terms of nutrition. We know from the research and scientific research that people are not going to do as well as they go through cancer treatment. Um, and then the third really key factor is the mental well-being. So it's understanding just that, you know, psychological onslaught of having a cancer diagnosis and going through treatment. So it's how you kind of support someone to be, you know, prepared from a well-being perspective as well. I mean, there are other aspects of prehab which people don't focus on as much, but are really important. So, for example, smoking cessation, trying to support people to stop smoking in advance of treatment and then alcohol as well. Um, Not a a less popular (laughs) topic in terms of prehab, but still very important. So it's understanding that, you know, if you can try and help people to reduce the amount of alcohol intake they have as they go into their treatment, that they'll potentially again do a lot better. Um, so, so So, yeah, so the idea is that you... In whatever time you've got before someone starts their treatment, um, if it's surgery or if it's chemotherapy or radiotherapy, it might be during that period as well, that you really, you know, have a very intensive period of exercise, nutritional assessment and support and well-being support. Um, and, and, it, and it really varies. And I think the, the thing we all know about cancer pathways is they're very complex and they change for individual people. So it, it, what we sometimes talk about is how you might have a diagnosis of cancer you might have a period and then you might have surgery or something but then there might be another period and then you might have chemotherapy you know see so we know that there's lots of different types of treatment so when we talk about prehab it can be quite fluid because you could actually be prehabbing for another round of treatment having already had some um so that's something to bear in mind um i mean i think rehabilitation is probably better known and better understood um but the idea about rehabilitation is is just about how after um somebody's had a, a diagnosis or somebody's got had treatment um what you can do to support somebody to recover better um and to resume their daily living you know so um it's normally quite goal focused so thinking about is it that somebody wants to get back to work is it that they you know they used to be able to walk to the shops every day and at the moment they can barely walk out of the house you know what is it that somebody needs to be able to manage their daily living and and get back to doing the things that they want to be doing so that's where rehab really comes in um uh, but yes so so hopefully that's a good description but if there's anything else you want to ask me then please do no that was brilliant It's it's a nice way to split it up i think and kind of priorities for the mental health side of things what what sort of things is it? I mean, you know, there's counselling, etc. But how do you prepare someone for different stages, especially if they're going to have, let's say, surgery, chemo, radiotherapy, and potentially further treatment? Yeah. 
So I think mental health is a really difficult one. And I know that um, when you speak to a lot of patients, they say it's kind of, in fact, it's often listed as being a problem for anyone who's going through cancer pathway. Understandably, you know, you hear the word cancer straight away, your mind just completely goes. Um, and actually, um, we've got a lot of um, patient groups within Greater Manchester, and um, they always list their priorities and, and psychological supports always in the top three, because it is people really say that they really struggle from a psychological perspective. So I think the the understanding around this mental well-being bit is that, um, again, if you can stop somebody, if you if you can try and head it, head it off the pass and really support someone from a psychological perspective very early on, then the chances of somebody um, having exacerbated anxiety or having, uh, you know, quite um, severe depression is less. So it's that idea that, of course, you're going to experience some level of emotional distress going through a cancer pathway and we're not going to pretend that you're not. But actually, if you um, feel empowered and you feel supported and you feel that you've got um, lots of means to, to kind of support you through that, then you're going to do, then you're going to have a better experience. So often when we talk about the aims of prehab, obviously there's the very clinical medical aims of trying to optimize someone, you know, from the medical perspective. Um, but actually in thinking about someone's experience of their cancer pathway, actually I think just having, um, engaging in prehab can really be supported from a mental health perspective. So, so some of the aspects with our service that I think really help is that there's a lot of peer support. Um, so people, um, they, they, you know, they do a lot of exercise with other um, people going through cancer, and that might be somebody who's at the same stage of them or somebody after treatment. And so there's a lot of realization, you know, reassurance and what we call um, in the business normalization. So it's that, you know, that panic stations and the real worry and fear. Um, it's how you can kind of see, well, Mrs. Jones has been through surgery and she's doing really well, you know, so it, so that's really helpful. Um, but also um, as an occupational therapist, I'm always going to say this, but just engaging in those really positive activities like doing exercise. I mean, anyone who does exercise, you know that you get the endorphins running um, and, you, and it, it can really help you to feel calm. It can help you to feel um, a completely different outlook on the situation. So actually even just engaging in exercise, I think is really helpful from, from a mental health perspective. Um, of course, there are patients who we recognise have, have a harder time when it comes to mental health in terms of experiencing anxiety, experiencing um, depression. So some of it's about coping strategies, about anxiety management. Um, and then we do have the option to refer patients to a variety of different services. So um, you may have, may not have heard of um, IAPT services. So in every area of the country, you've got improving access to psychological therapies, which works alongside GPs and primary care. So um, in Greater Manchester, if we've got patients coming through who we think really need more support, we'll speak to the cancer nurse specialists who are often really able to provide a lot of support. But then we'll also um, talk to them about whether or not they want to self-refer to have um, psychological therapies like cognitive behavioural therapy and, and other types of um, therapy and support. Um, and then again, it's it's working with um, medical teams, doctors. Um, we've got a really brilliant um, oncology psychologist called Pod involved in our service. He's helped us design it and he does um, it's brilliant. He does um, every couple of months meets with our team to support them. So they have a reflective session where they talk about what they're doing and, the, you know, how, it, you know, you're working with patients with cancer every day and it can be very upsetting and distressing. And, and so he, he works with them. So if the specific patients who are particularly having um, any kind of difficulties, then we'll have a conversation with him about that. And then, you know, he's able to give some really good advice about what we need to do. So, so there's lots of different um, different ways of, of trying to support people from a mental well-being perspective. Zoe, how do you engage the patient in almost taking some autonomy around their own health? Because part of self-management in prehabilitation and rehabilitation is really important. Can you talk us through that a little bit more? Absolutely. So, I mean, I haven't talked a lot about our service. So um, we're really, we are very lucky in Greater Manchester. Um, we were given funding to be able to create a service that's across the whole of Greater Manchester. So for people that don't know, we're like a mini London, basically. You've got 10, 10 boroughs, uh, all the people from down south, Manchester, what's that? Um, so it's like a mini London. Um, basically, you've got 10 different boroughs. Um, we've got 10 really big hospitals. Um, and we were given money to be able to provide the service for patients from across the whole of Manchester. So it's not just one area, it's across the whole of Greater Manchester. So if you've got cancer of specific types, so lung, 
colorectal or esophagogastric cancer and you live in Greater Manchester, then you should be able to be referred into the programme. Um, and um, a really key point around that was um, thinking about how people could engage in exercise. So we worked with um, all the leisure organisations across the whole of Greater Manchester to, to design and deliver the service. Um, and we've got access to about 90 gyms, like 90 leisure centres that we deliver the service out of. So a key thing is the fact that actually people are referred into the service and then they go along to their local gym that's normally, you know, down the road, maybe a mile or whatever. Um, and it's really easy to get to, you know, Mrs. Smith from down the road goes there, Fred from across the road's there. It's a very normal thing. It's not going into a scary hospital for another, you know, procedure. It's something that's very normal going to the leisure centre. You know, most people feel comfortable with that to some extent. Um, and um, as well as then people engaging the programme and, and being told very clearly about what they need to be doing, um, they also have free gym membership for whilst they're in the programme. So they can, to some extent, it's trying to encourage them to be independent exercisers so that it's about going along themselves um, independently um, if appropriate. So so what we do is um, we rec we do a lot of assessments to begin with and we one of the um, assessments we do is called the self-efficacy scale for exercise. And so for those of you that aren't okay with the term self-efficacy, um, that's all about confidence. So the confidence to be able to do something and it, it, a lot of it's to do with people's values about themselves, etc. So it's recognising that you can't just say, right, come on now, come on the bike, let's get you exercising. For not everyone's going to feel confident to do that. So we start by doing that assessment and that helps us to understand, you know, how confident people are feeling, what barriers they might have to engaging. Um, and straight away, we can do what's called action planning with them. So we can really try and work through, well, what's going to be a problem for them? How can we make sure that they can overcome that to engage in the program? Um, and then it really is then just about building confidence. And the, the prehab phase before someone's treatment is very intense and it's very prescriptive because we've got a very short period to try and optimise someone. But the rehab phase is much more um, personalised. So it's much more about what kind of exercise do you want to do? Do you want to do line dancing? Do you want to swim? Do you want to go walking? Do you want to run? You know, what, you know, all the different activities available in the, in the local leisure centres or in the local area. Um, and, and the good thing is that all the people that work in the team, in the prehab for cancer team, they're really knowledgeable about what's available locally. So it's not just about come to the gym and get on a bike and do, you know, some hard work on a bike, which is what the prehab is often like. It's much more about, right, you know, we're helping you to recover, but we really want to support you to continue to exercise and continue to do healthy lifestyle afterwards. Um, and so um, I think that really helps people in terms of empowerment and self-management. Um, that we do also, um, I mean, the, the pandemic's really forced us to do this. So um, we've got a lot of other resources. So we've got home exercise packs, which we send out to people, which has got pictures and instructions about how to do stuff. Um, we've got YouTube videos that we've created at different levels that people can watch at home. Um, we've got a website, which has got lots of resources on. Uh, we use digital resources so for example we use um, what's called my zone heart rate monitors um, and that's they're really good for people who are not um, very confident about exercising because they tell you a different color based on how hard you're working when you're doing your exercise so if you're in the red zone you're going really fast if you're in the green zone you're not working hard enough um, and so we use digital resources like that to um, support people to kind of be able to do it for themselves as well um, and I think um whenever we've done any kind of um, planning around the service and talking to other patients about why what's good about it, actually the whole idea of people be feeling empowered and feeling like they can actually have some control, because often patients who are going through cancer pathways feel that they're, their control, they lose a sense of control, um, you know, that they're very much being done to, they're on a conveyor belt, and then they drop off that conveyor belt when they leave hospital. Um, so I think the brilliant thing about prehab and rehab is that um, it really does give people the opportunity to take control for themselves. So often a lot of patients will come along. Um, we did put a buddy system in place so people could bring family members, but actually I think a lot of people choose to come by themselves independently and it's like they can be their normal selves you know just popping down to the gym as opposed to being the cancer patient um so yeah so i think um i think there's a lot of opportunity for people to have, feel empowered and to self-manage through prehab and rehab programs it's something that joe and i keep banging on about on the podcast is 
yes they're they're individuals first you know the cancer is something that's happened afterwards you know not everyone deals with pediatrics or teenagers young adults but everyone's had a life up to the point that they come in to have treatment um absolutely yeah Yeah, absolutely i think that's we're we're very patient-centered in our service um i think it's difficult with prehab um because um Obviously, it's it's being seen as the equivalent to chemotherapy. It's like it's it's like it's another treatment, and that's a good thing because actually, I think um, well, we've been able to demonstrate in our evaluation how impactful it can be and how important it is and how much it can really make a difference for people as they go through cancer. However, I think it's important that you don't lose sight of the person in all of that. Um, and, and really, I think it's it's all wrapped up together. It's a very holistic approach. It's not just all right. You know, if someone does a whole ton of exercise, um, that's going to be great. And that's the solution. Because actually, if that person is really struggling from a mental health perspective or they don't feel confident to come and do the exercise or, you know, they stop doing it in the moment that they've had their surgery because they didn't really enjoy it and they didn't really understand why they were doing it, you know, then that's not really the, the right approach. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. So Zoe, you talked about the second London. So I live in the proper London. How do I get access to all these things? <laughs> I've been there. I d- <laughs> so further I down south, you're o- very far I- up north. <laughs> I so- trained to be an OT in London, so I can, I can oh, okay. legitimately talk about that London. <laughs> so yeah, proper London where we are. How do we access these things? So the, the brilliant thing is, is that prehab is just exploding. So across the country, lots and lots of people a very key you know so many healthcare professionals can really see the benefits of doing this um, and lots of patients as well um, and so there's more and more services coming online um, in in London I know lots of colleagues who are doing brilliant work trying to get it off the ground in the Marsden um, you know lots of different areas um, a lot of the cancer alliances so I don't know how familiar people are but Every region of the country has got a cancer alliance, um, which is um, connected with NHS England. Um, and most of the cancer alliances across the country are looking at how they can try and get prehab up and running. Um, so if you're a healthcare professional and you want to know about prehab services locally, um, then it's really good to link in with your um, local cancer alliance and colleagues there to understand. You may be You may be aware of other things going on, but they should really know if there is anything happening around prehab. Um, there's, there's lots of resources online as well. So, for example, I'm going to I'm going to plug the Prehab for Cancer website. So we've deliberately made that so that although it is aimed at people who are engaging in our service, there's lots of patients in Greater Manchester who can't currently access our service because they're not eligible. Um, and we were also aware that nationally there's kind of a gap. So um, we've got lots of resources. We've got all our YouTube videos, like I said, which um, at different levels. So you can be somebody who's never exercised before. Or you can somebody who's um, quite fit already. Um, so we've got a lot of those. Um, I did some work with CRUK. So there's um, a really um, good um, CRUK site dedicated to prehabilitation with lots of videos. Um, and that's quite it's quite low level because it's kind of universal. It's aimed at anyone. So you could go on there um, and, and really um, bear in mind people's different lives, different potential illnesses, conditions, complexities. And um, the key thing to do really is to talk to healthcare professionals that you're involved with, because um, it might be that you've got other things going on. You might have diabetes or you might have, you know, you might have previously had a stroke. You might have COPD. Um, you know, all of these conditions could impact on your ability to engage in prehab and rehab. Um, so the first and foremost thing I would always say is if, you, if you've got a healthcare professional involved in your cancer, um, whether that's a doctor, a nurse, an allied health professional, a physio, an OT, a dietitian, a radiographer, um, GPs, you know, have a conversation with them. They may not know the answers because, um, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot of information that they do know, but, um, but at least you start the conversation going and even if it's just that you're, um, you know, you found resources online that tells you what you could be doing, but you're not really sure whether you should be doing it, then have a conversation with your healthcare professionals because all, you know, all healthcare professionals, they just want to support their patients. That's why they're there. That's why they signed up to do the job. Um, so definitely speak to them. Um and, and yeah, and then there's there's lots of other resources. Macmillan have got some brilliant resources. So you've got the Macmillan Prehab Guidance Document, which myself and John from Manchester and lots of other colleagues nationally were involved in writing. Um, and then just recently, um, Macmillan have also done some work um, 
around education. So there's the Prosper guidance, which I think Joe was involved in, um, which is all about just a, um, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say <laughs> um, just a little bit. So I'm sure you might have talked about it already, Joe. But um, Prosper, for those of you who aren't aware, is is um, an educational tool. Um, that people can access, which is all about how you design and deliver prehab and rehab and personalised care services for cancer patients. Um, so it's got lots of case studies. It's got prehab for cancer as one of the case studies, um, but lots of examples nationally, because I think the key thing to recognise is that one size does not fit all within this space. And so actually, um, you know, we what we're doing in Greater Manchester really works for our area but it wouldn't necessarily work in rural Lake District or Scotland or Cornwall because it relies on the fact that people can access leisure centres really close to them and we've got that network and we've got a lot of qualified cancer rehab um, instructors working across Greater Manchester that we've done a lot of upskilling with Um, so it's kind of um, you know I think there are lots of aspects of our service that could be replicated elsewhere, but then equally, I think there's lots of other really good examples. Like, for example, um, there's a there's a lot of allied health professional-led um, services like at Aintree, um, Claire Knowles, the physio there. You've got Prepwell in the northeast. You've got, you know, um, Active Against Cancer in Harrogate. Um, in Southampton, there's a lot of brilliant work going on that um, Sandy Jack and her team are leading on. So there's there's lots of really good examples of different types of prehab and rehab services for cancer patients. Um, so I think, you know, just being aware, trying to find out what's available for you, but then being aware there is a lot online as well. And, and worst case scenario, if there isn't something accessible to you locally, I would really recommend just popping down to your local leisure centre and just saying, is there anybody here who's cancer rehab qualified? Um, you know, and, and, and sometimes there might be some fun, funds, to, you know, you might have to pay for that a small amount or you might be able to speak to your GP about being referred on to, a, um, you know, an, an exercise scheme. It's not it's not a fully fledged prehab scheme, but that at the end of the day, it's about how people are supported to try and optimise themselves in the run up to treatment. Um, so there are lots of options, but hopefully the prehab movement is going to get bigger and bigger, the revolution. And so I'm hoping in the next few years that it'll be something that's, um, you know, much more universally available across the whole of the UK and indeed the world, because um, we're working with lots of colleagues internationally as well about trying to um, replicate prehab and rehab across the world. So world domination. <laughs> that's what it's all about. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And I'm really excited because I've got 35 brand new healthcare professionals starting on Monday, my new MSc prehabilitation and rehabilitation module, um, which is really exciting that the accreditation is now there yeah. um, and education so that people who actually have a lot of the knowledge and skills but don't necessarily have the qualifications are able to now access them. I think that's really important as well. Um, It's not necessarily that they don't know, but having that accreditation is really important, isn't it? Zoe, I was going to ask a little bit about, obviously you touched on it about health inequalities and, you know, some of the eligibility. Often when you talk about prehabilitation and rehabilitation, there is this just perception and you kind of discussed it a little bit around exercise that you have to be able bodied and already quite physically well to be able to undertake it. Um, Can you kind of go through maybe dispelling some of those myths? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so, so really with our service, we've got such a wide variety of people that access it. We've got people in their 80s, people in their 90s. Um, and in terms of the level of ability, um, we do a lot of assessments to try and understand that early on. So we um, do the clinical frailty score to understand people's frailty. Um, we do um, walk tests and sit to stand tests. Um, and we have a real variety of patients coming through. So we'll have people who've previously been really active and run and done this and done that. Um, and, and for them, it's really important that you try and maintain that or because there's a real risk of them de- deteriorating and deconditioning but then we'll equally have people who've never been to a gym or never been to a leisure center or you know may have exercised previously in their life but haven't done it for years um and you know like to give an example we had a lady who was a heavy smoker hadn't done any exercise for 20 odd years had a you know had a lung operation where she had literally her entire lung um removed um and then you know she was fitter 
after that, after that operation, coming back to the gym than she'd been before we started. Um, so, you know, so I think it, it's, it is definitely about dispelling the myth. Um, you know, I think some of the, what we tend to do is it, it's very personalized to the individual. So for some people, you know, it might just be that prehab's just about um, everyday active physical activity. So it might be just about doing that extra walk every day down to the local shops. Or it might be about climbing the stairs up and down a few times. Or it might be about getting up and down from your chair a few times. You know, it's it's all relative to you. It's all about increasing your level of physical activity rather than suddenly having to be able to run a marathon at the end of it, as it were. Um, and, and yeah, and there's very few people that we would say wouldn't be able to access prehab. Um, so, um, you know, we've got people who attend who are in wheelchairs. I think this is something that's really important to discuss with healthcare professionals as well as patients. Um, and one of the difficulties we do sometimes have is that when people get diagnosed with cancer, um, the instinct from their family members and friends is to kind of wrap them in cotton wool, put them on the sofa, hand them cups of tea, um, which is the complete opposite of what they should be doing. Um, and so, yeah, it, you know, actually, there is it's very, very rare. There's only the occasional people that we aren't able to accept into service. It tends to be because they've got other things going on, like, for example, potential cardiac problems or they might be um, some like, you know, might have an, an you know, a, an aneurysm or there's a lot of other things that we've got to consider because you have to we have to be safe in our delivery of this. But for those patients, it's not that they couldn't engage in prehab. They just might need to do it in a more controlled um, clinical setting. So it might be that that's where um, it would be very helpful to have an exercise physiologist or a physiotherapist present to have doctors nearby. You know, it's that understanding that if you are going to do exercise, um, that you're really doing it within safe limits. Um, and, and certainly with the pandemic, what we found is that um, a lot, of, as we're all aware, a lot of people have become very deconditioned. Um, so actually people's balance, their mobility, um, a lot of that is actually much worse than it used to be. And from a mental health as well perspective, people are less confident, people are more anxious. Um, and so it's kind of um, bearing all that in mind. But we're still able to engage people. And we've still got, you know, huge numbers of people. You know, we see over a thousand patients a year coming through our service. Um, so it's, it's a really, really big service. We've got lots of people accessing it. Um, and, you know, and we're talking about the majority of them in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. So this is not a young person's game. It's not a, you know, it's a, not a gym bunny's game. This is definitely about your, your normal person diagnosed with cancer. How can we support them to have the absolute best outcomes? Um, to feel like they've got some control, to have a better experience as they go through it and then come out the other side and actually be much healthier than they might have been otherwise. So it, it's quite odd because we get a lot of patients who say, you know, I'm the fittest I've ever been. <laughs> like, you know, like they've just been diagnosed with cancer and they're just about to have cancer surgery and they're there, you know, just absolutely gobsmacked at how fit they are and how good they feel. Um, so, you know, I think it's really key to focus on that as well. It's interesting you said that. I think Stephen Tao, when he came on, so they're looking at linear accelerators that are seated as opposed to lying down for treatment. He said that actually the common misconception or whatever, the, the way people view cancer patients is they should be lying down, you know, not doing much, looking unwell. But that's an amazing thing impact-wise, you know, for patients to be like, oh, I feel amazing and I'm going through cancer treatment. You don't always get to see it. Um, a charity I do a lot of work for, the MOVE charity, so they're 5K away. Uh, the running stuff even though most of them walk um just a community element they say well i finished treatment last week but i'm able to walk a 5k it's amazing yeah. um and it's funny you said yeah. about being deconditioned because of the pandemic i had a patient today saying she went out for dinner last night with friends and she's just tired from that just because she's just not used to leaving the house yeah. it's it's weird how that yeah. kind of affects patients or, or just anyone really at the moment uh, absolutely so we so we've got 5k your way in manchester again <laughs> And um, yeah, um, I mean, we've got we've got Tony Collier, who's one of our um, user involvement yeah. reps. He's brilliant. I mean, he's very supportive of the program and gives us a lot of feedback and really helps us in terms of thinking about it from a patient's perspective. But I go along and do the Cancer 5K with him. Um, and, you know, it, it's really nice because actually, unfortunately, you know, there isn't an, an end point with our rehab phase. So being very linked into all the Cancer 5K your ways, you know, some of the patients, what they tend to do is that they then join that and they'll be going to that every month um, and then starting to do park runs and, and it is it's the community feeling and it's it's that normalization again it's you know it's for anyone going along to a park run it's a positive thing regardless of whether you've got a, a condition or an illness and um it, yeah it just makes you feel very um 
positive and like you can actually take control so absolutely I, I noticed your hoodie no I mean it's really cool I, I've not got a hoodie yet I want a hoodie <laughs> sign up to be ambassador Zoe yeah <laughs> It's a good color as well. Yeah, it is. So, so for us, I think in any healthcare practitioners, language is always a bit of a barrier. I know I got wanted to ask you about barriers for setting up a service. I'm sure there's people listening thinking prehab's amazing. We should be doing this. How do we go about it? But do you find that with different leisure centers and different cohorts of patients from diverse backgrounds, has language ever been a problem? So obviously, obviously the same, if you're talking about just generally um, English as a first language and thinking about it from that perspective, um, you know, in Greater Manchester, we've got lots of different first languages spoken um, and um, we do, we are able to use interpreters and we are able to um, just the same as you would, because this is an, we are an NHS service, so we're currently funded by the NHS to deliver our service. So we do do that. Um, we were very sensitive to thinking about um the different needs of different people from different cultures um, and also thinking about people um, in terms of their sexuality as well. Um, but again, working with the leisure industry and the leisure organisations, they're really well versed in this. This is something that they think about every day, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, they serve their local communities. And so although it's something that we've been needing to think about in terms of how you design a prehab and a rehab service, working with them is just really refreshing because they have a lot of the answers already. Um, you know that they they are really aware of their local communities um, and and the great thing is is that um although we do some specific sessions and um, groups that are kind of around prehab cancer the, the patients are able to access other groups and other sessions that are going on so we've got lady only sessions you've got specific times of the gyms which are only you know one sex can go in um the you know and then people can in terms of what they have to wear you know that that's all very much considered as well um and and so yeah so that that's been very helpful um and i think where we struggle a little bit sometimes is about some of the resources we have and, and making them available in other languages um and you know and again some of that just comes down to nhs resource and finances and what funding we've got to be able to make things accessible as we can um but you know it's something that's we're always aware that we need to do more on um we've recently done our evaluation and it was brilliant in terms of demonstrating the outcomes so we've absolutely shown that people who come through the service they spend less time in hospital they get fitter um, we've even shown an association with people who've been through our service being more likely to be alive at one year than if you haven't done prehab and rehab um, so it really can definitely shown you know independently an evaluation that shows how good it is but one of the recommendations was that we should um, think more about um, the, the different um, ethnicities of patients coming through and that kind of understanding the indices of multiple deprivation and, and trying to get a handle in terms of the data that we collect, um, being able to analyse the different types of people accessing the service and how we can try and improve access for everybody. Um, and I think that goes across the board for all NHS services. It's certainly something I think and talk a lot about related to lung health checks as well and, and lung cancer screening. Um, so yeah, it's really important. So Zoe, um, just thinking about kind of your experiences and evaluating impact and things, um, I know from conversations that I've had and some of the research and work that I'm involved in that some healthcare practitioners will think that rehabilitation, prehabilitation maybe isn't part of their role or, or that actually the public health messages aren't necessarily about their role. Um, what would you maybe say to a healthcare professional who might say, oh that's not for me to worry about I'm going to refer to a physio straight away what yeah. would you suggest well I think sometimes that goes back to again people's knowledge and their confidence about this you know it's something you don't want to give the wrong advice and again I think a lot of this often comes from the comes from the right place also healthcare professionals are notoriously overstretched so I think it's that thing well if you don't really know about something then hand it over to somebody else um Actually, um, one of the key things we did in the delivery and the design of the service was a lot of education with all the healthcare professionals because we're reliant on referrals coming from 10 different hospitals and within those hospitals, lots of different clinical teams. So we did a lot of education days, um, upskilling and, and trying to share the, the, you know, ultimately everyone wants pe their patients to do well. And so if you can really explain and educate people about why it's so important to advocate prehab um, 
and how it's going to make such a difference straight away people get it um one of the things that a lot of the patients said to us in the early days when we were getting feedback about the service was actually they really needed to hear um about the service from their oncologist or their surgeon which makes me sad as an OT and an allied health professional but I think it's understandable you know if you just had a diagnosis of cancer that person you're looking to to give you the advice at that time is the surgeon or the oncologist who's going to do your treatment um, and so we worked really closely with those clinical groups um, the other thing is, is again there's some brilliant resources so um, it's not Public Health England anymore but there's um, a free physical activity champion training you can do that you can access um, so um, a colleague in Lon that London um, called Sarah who works at the Mas Marsden she um, she's one of the, she's the oversees the um, physical activity training and what that's aimed at is um, any healthcare professionals um, doing very short you know an hour session about how you can try and feel more confident to work with someone around physical activity whether it's a, a really quick conversation with a patient or whether it's something bigger than that um, also there's the moving medicine website so I don't know if you're aware of that but um, again I've um, that's it's that was very mainly sports exercise medicine led so I've got a brilliant colleague called John Rogers um, and there's Rebecca Robinson based in Sheffield um, who were involved in that and if you go on there um, that talk to you about how you can spend one minute five minutes or ten minutes talking to a patient and trying to introduce the concept of exercise and some of the you know the healthy lifestyle um, um, interventions that we've discussed um, with a patient um, so I think um, I think yeah I think it's 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 under it's it's the same as anything you need to understand where that person's coming from and you know what's the what's the kind of hook that's going to make them want to do this um, and I think it's also about um, Again, I think there's that myth that there's this group of people over here who are the specialists who are going to do all this work. Well, they don't exist often. You know, there are some brilliant specialists working in oncology and um, physios, OTs and others. But often it is about um, what we refer to as generalists. So general people working, whether they're healthcare professionals, nurses, allied health professionals. If, if you're working with a patient, it's understanding what their needs are and how you address those needs. And often I find that um, a lot of the needs that people have as they go through their cancer pathway um, that are kind of beyond their medical treatment and some of those things, symptoms, etc. A lot of the time, prehab and rehab really can be part of that um, solution to addressing people's needs. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's it's really working closely and, and very much, I think, um, the interprofessional working. So I, I think one thing I'm really um, very want to advocate is how um, much knowledge exercise professionals have within the leisure industry, because a lot of them have worked in falls prevention, cardiac rehab, um, pulmonary rehab. They've worked with lots of different types of patients. They've got a lot of experience. And then the ones that have then have gone on to do cancer rehabilitation qualifications, you know, they're really knowledgeable. So I think it's feeling confident to work with those colleagues because, you know, at the end of the day, before I came into this role, um, you know, I was confident about doing rehab with people. But when it comes to exercise prescription, you know, what would I know about that? You know, I'm not I wasn't a competent person in terms of talking to somebody about exercise or I didn't feel like I was. Um, so I think it's about trusting the colleagues that have that knowledge um, and then really working well as a team, um, but very much with the patient at the centre of that team. I think people forget, though, any conversation you have with a patient is going to contribute in some positive way. If you're telling them, try and take the stairs today, that's going to help them, even if they don't do it this week. They do it in a month's time. You have helped them in some way. I think the confidence in something Joe and I have come across, so just the podcast and probably just working anyway in general, that... As healthcare practitioners, if we're, for example, in radiotherapy on the treatment floor, you have 10 minutes per patient, whatever, you don't necessarily feel you have the time to be able to do it, but it's really important. And it, it could be exactly as you said, that if you just, you like walking every now and then, that's enough, that's your niche, that will help that yeah. patient, it's fine, I think. So I think we could talk on for hours, but I'm very aware, we want to make sure your husband can go and use the proton beams properly. <laughs> yeah i was just conscious of the time um, so we always like to end with some Don't... top tips you've said some amazing things throughout and i've been trying to being kicked by joe to remember to keep talking so i've just been fascinated by everything you've said so far but a few top tips for anyone listening whether they're patients healthcare professionals or just general public 
Um, so I think it's um, it's about understanding what your level is and not feeling, you know, not feeling overfaced by the idea that if someone's going to say you need to be doing exercise or thinking about your nutrition or well-being before treatment, that that means you've got to do something radical. You know, it's about, um, you know, doing that within your comfort zone, um, but getting the support you need. I think one thing I would really um, like to say is that um, I think cancer is a scary word I think people don't like talking about it um, and I think um, you know it's really important to think about your networks um, so you know friends and family when someone gets a cancer diagnosis they don't know what to do they don't know how to help so if, if it's if it's just a say case of saying you know I need to start doing some exercise will you come with me and do a walk around the park you know and an opportunity to have a conversation about um, you know what's going on or not just have a normal conversation I think that's really important um, there's a lot of research out there I mean I haven't really talked about it today but there's uh, you know on Joe's course there's a lot of research available around prehab and it's a really growing emerging field in terms of the evidence base um, so there's a lot of different papers you can look at um, if you start with the Macmillan um, prehab guidance there's some really good references in that but that's a few years old now so you know again looking at a lot of the references out there um, we wrote a um, implementation paper um, so if you kind of want to know more about prehab for cancer and what we've done locally um, you can have a read of that or go to our website um, which hopefully explains a bit more um, but yeah I think it's just um, it's just really thinking about the positive I mean you know cancer can be very difficult and I'm not trying to downplay it at all but um, there can be a lot of positives uh, and I feel like you know it's been such a privilege to be involved in um, developing this service that's you know I know 3,000 patients in Greater Manchester have had a better cancer experience than they would have had had we not put this service together and got it off the ground um, and so I think it's about that really focusing on the positives but then being very personalized and focused on individuals within that. Oh, amazing, Zoe. Honestly, so much information. We'll definitely link all the resources um, that you've commented on and a few more as well. So thank you all for listening to Rad Chat. Your hosts today have been Jay McNamara and Naomi Jock Anderson. A huge thank you again to our guest, Zoe Merchant. Head over to our YouTube page to see a live recording of this podcast. If you're utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflective questions posted along with the links to the resources and literature we've discussed receive your accredited cpd certificate please complete the google form linked with the podcast so our next guest to feature will be jonathan mcnulty and he will be discussing his career and the various projects and work that he's involved